Do you think Robert De Niro's just like sick of the Rolling Stones at this point in his career? <laughs> Welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. But we also love discussing directors, and directors are kind of genres in themselves. We Every month we usually do like a one episode per month with a, for a director, but recently we also did a Peter Weir series the whole month, one of our one of my favorite series, and one of Thomas's favorite series. And so for June, we've all we've been bringing that back and we're talking about tony scott for the entire month and scott is a man who directed a variety of genres i mean we haven't even talked about that much but we'll talk about today just how many different genres scott directed and all of his films have that tony scott style to them but before we go into today's kind of group of films thomas can you give everyone a recap on what we've talked about the last two weeks yeah we've covered uh kind of Tony Scott's evolution as a filmmaker and also how that kind of reflects his collaboration with um, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. That's going to kind of continue into all modern day blockbusters as we discussed yeah. last week. And we talked about Scott kind of starting in commercials, music videos, having that kind of MTV style that, you know, in hindsight, we, we fully recognize as, as, the huge influence on, on music videos and ads on filmmaking in the late 80s, early 90s, and especially with something like Top Gun, which is just a feature-length commercial for the Navy. Um, <laughs> but the, the way that, that Scott has kind of leveraged that, especially towards the um, the later 90s into... Um, it, we're going to see this week, especially his early films like Hunger, we talked about were just like a little too stylistic to really make it. And he kind of really brought in his his style. Um, so we're seeing kind of his trademark for Top Gun and, and Beverly Hills Cop 2 is more of like the saturation and less that like rapid cutting that he was doing in Hunger. But we're going to see kind of the color correcting and the rapid cutting uh, come back into play. In this, yeah. um, in his like late '90s, early 2000s period. Yeah, when when watching the, these kind of these four four films, this batch of films, it, it, it became very apparent that this is a period. I mean, I don't think we meant to do. We we didn't. We don't always mean to do this, but like when breaking it up into parts like this, this is the part where he really takes his like visual style to a whole other level. Yeah, something else we talked about a lot the last couple of, of weeks is that. Scott's got a great eye for casting, specifically yeah. building a movie around a, a kind of young hip star, which we're definitely going to see a lot this this week. And then building a really interesting supporting cast around them made up of like really well-respected older actors, yeah. uh, character actors, like great working class character actors, usually peppering in some up and coming talent around that. So yeah. He's, he's always got these like amazing casts. We talked about it, especially last month with something like um, Days of Thunder, which obviously has like a super hot Tom Cruise yeah. in the lead. Mm -hmm. You've got Robert Duvall as your kind of grizzled veteran. You've got Michael Rooker as someone who's fully recognized as an incredibly talented character actor, but normally maybe yeah. wouldn't be cast in a role that, that large. You've got Nicole Kidman as your up and comer. So... And we're definitely going to see that continue on this week. 
yeah, it's he, Scott is a what I want to kind of hammer home with this one. Uh, I think it's very apparent when, when, when working with a couple stars. I mean, he works with stars. He works with stars constantly. And I think Scott was really phenomenal at amplifying the star power and charisma that's already present within that mm-hmm. actor or actress. I think we talked about when we, when we discussed Peter Weir, as I said before, uh, a few months back, it's like, we talked about how, how with Peter Weir, it's like you kind of went to him to reinvent you in some way. If it's Robin Williams and dead poet society, if it's Jim Carrey and Truman show, but something about Scott, it's kind of a little bit of the opposite of like, let me let me find what's already present in you and let me just like push it to the forefront. And I think you'll see that with Emmy the State with Will Smith. I think you'll see that most certainly with with Denzel Washington Man on Fire. I think he really knows how to do that. Sometimes, as we'll talk about with the fan, um, briefly with De Niro, it, it has a a a negative effect mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. Um because it it kind of ampl- it amplifies this kind of obsessive character that Nero's played many times before, to where it almost becomes cartoonish mm-hmm. in a way. Um, but yeah, he really was able to amplify the star power that he had. I think I said again, work within multiple genres, and I think his visual style. And one thing I want, I think we'll discuss today, too, is there's a big, there was always a big complaint around Scott when it came to style over substance and saying it was all about style, not about substance. But I think today, with two examples of it specifically, um, are movies that I think, I think people just, because the style was so radical, they ignored the substance that was there. So, but we'll discuss that today. So, let's get into the first movie that, that Tony Scott made. So, he just made Crimson Tide in 1995, starring Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. I think one of our favorites in this kind of, series of movies and so he's kind of at the top of his game it feels like um especially with the jerry bruckheimer don simpson uh collaboration so in 1996 he has a movie called the fan and the fan is about robert de niro plays a character by the name of uh, uh gil gil renard who is a obsessive fan of the san francisco giants and a new player bobby rayburn played by wesley snipes has been is a free agent who's been signed by the giants for like a $40 million contract. And people are like up in arms about like how much this, this, this hot athlete is getting paid. And, and Gil is like, Oh no, it's great. Like, I love him. He's one of the best players. And he, he becomes obsessive over the character of Bobby Rayburn and the giants. And what eventually ends up happening is that he ends up killing one of the players on the team, player Benicio del Toro. Uh, because Benicio Del Toro's character, uh, Primo, ha- has the number that Bobby uses. And Bobby's having a stroke of bad luck in playing. And so De Niro, in order to get that luck back up, kills the other player to help out Bobby. Unaware to, to Wesley Snipes' character, Bobby, that uh, Gil has been doing this. So it's very much in line with, like, a lot of the stuff. Like, like the, when I think of De Niro and his obsessive fan, you think of the king of comedy. You think of... Um, even to some degree, Cape Fear, or you think of Taxi Driver. Like it's very much this psychological thriller based around De Niro's uh, mm. obsessive nature. Yeah, and and how this got made briefly. Uh, so it's based on a novel by Peter Abrams, and Tony Scott had actually turned this movie down twice 
before signing on after De Niro agreed to do the film. Apparently, a lot of people really wanted to play the character of Gil or were offered the role. Um, Jack Nicholson and Al Pacino were both offered the role but declined. Brad Pitt was offered the role of Bobby Rayburn, the baseball player, but he turned it down because he wanted to play Gil. <laughs> um, De Niro's that that you know that completely checks out for for Brad Pitt's career. Brad Pitt in the '90s specifically. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we want to we want to cast you as this kind of pretty boy Hot athlete. Baseball nah, player. Give me the, the obsessed serial killer. <laughs> Uh, and even uh, De Niro's co-star Wesley Snipes initially wanted to play the character of Gil as well and not the baseball player. So I, people were obsessed with playing that obsessive fan. Here's the thing, though. I, I wonder if all those would have been better because I've seen De Niro do this before is the thing. I don't know if it would have been, been a better movie fully because I think there's a lot of issues here. But it it, it would have been, been different. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Tony Scott was apparently signed on to do Emmy of the State at this moment in time. Uh, and he took the film to serve as a guinea pig to try out a new visual style, which honestly makes a lot of sense after <laughs> watching this film. Uh, Scott knew nothing about baseball, and that's the main reason why he didn't want to do the film originally. Uh, but he did it. And also during filming, Snipes' personal batting instructor was Cal Ripken Jr., heavy hitters apparently cal ripkin <laughs> talked about how he went to dinner with de niro one time and he goes yeah it was hard to take him seriously because he was like listening to like audio book or audio tapes of like interviews with like serial killers or something like that it was like kind of crazy uh but that's de niro <laughs> yeah this is the only movie i think scott has done that i think the visual style really hinders the film like it, it it's it's the early version of the because you, you're gonna see it in enemy of the state and spy game and even man on fire he really is bringing this fast cutting and and kind of um uh a, a rat or like kind of these these kind of intrusive angles and these kind of uh out of the box like angles and cinematography and the cut and erratic cutting mm-hmm. and this movie doesn't really call for it like it's a it's much more of a, a just a straight drama but he's making it into like a really high octane thriller right and and when you watch the movie you can tell he doesn't know baseball sadly because the ending of the movie is a, tor- a torrential downpour at, at the baseball game which would never happen in a real baseball game they, right. they would call it but it's like just raining and pouring and they're just like no we gotta because snipes kid's been kidnapped by de niro some spoilers on the fan again i think it's again i think it's his weakest movie but yeah it, it, it weirdly feels like when watching it it's Scorsese. i'm mean, sorry it's scott trying to be a scorsese in a weird way and i don't know if he meant to do that but i think he did because scott has said in interviews that he always like tried to he always like stole from other films he always loved watching other films and kind of like taking from them mm-hmm. and when you watch some just like yeah this feels like he saw a lot of Scorsese films and was like, I want to do something like that. Like De Niro's like listening to Rolling Stones, the entire movie, like give me shelters in there. Oh, no. the devil's in there. There's a part where, where De Niro's driving Wesley Snipes, his Hummer and kidnapped his kid. And he's, he's singing shattered by the stones, but he's not like singing. He's just like saying specific words at points with like a lot of like emphasis, it's like shattered shit. Like, just yelling. 
Do you think Robert De Niro's just like sick of the Rolling Stones at this point in his career? <laughs> God, we're doing another one of those Stones. Oh, guys, another Stones song. Come on, Marty, Marty, come on. You, there's been a lot more music made. Um, no, but yeah, it's it's just an odd. It's an odd film. The pace feels off. The tone feels off. Um, and it's just yeah, it's the one film where I think he really really misfired on the when the material that was there it could have been but again it, it still has all the scott fa- like attributes it's the visual style is there i think the the, the full-on cast like the the cast that surrounds everyone like wesley snipes is the big big young star but then you have de niro in the in the in the leading role with him but then you get benicio del toro in there you get another appearance by john Luizamo, by the hey. way who was in revenge as, Good. Uh, he only as, had like uh, one line in Revenge. Yeah, so. he's 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 Bobby Rayburn's uh, manager. You get Ellen Barkin. Also, briefly, he's gonna return in the next movie. But uh, Jack Black gets like a one scene in the fan as a radio broadcast technician for Ellen Barkin's character. And I didn't realize that Jack Black was in the Tony Scott uh, troupe because mm-hmm. he's gonna reappear in Enemy of the State. Hey, that's great, Bobby. Uh, let's get back to our callers, Gil. Yeah. Uh, uh... Am I, am I in the air? Yes, you are, Gil. Uh, Jewel, why do you always have to be so negative all the time? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm a sweetheart. Well, but the guy's making a lot of money. If they offered it to you, would you turn him down? Hell you no. You wouldn't turn him down. You'd have to be nuts. So why is everybody down on Rayburn? Because he's not nuts. You got a point there, Gil. I apologize. Hey, Bobby. Bobby, you listening to me? Hell yeah, I sure am. Hey, thanks for backing me up, man. Hey, no problem. It's a pleasure. Just remember where you heard it first, that's all. And I'm no schmuck, believe me. I played the game. I know what I'm talking about. Grew up on the Giants. In fact, my old man brought the whole family out here when the Giants moved here. I've been watching you ever since you hit that grand slam in the seventh against South Bay in the 82 City Championships. You remember that? <laughs> that's when I first saw you as somebody really, really special, Bobby, and you never let me down. So when the two of you come together, Rayburn and the Giants, whoa, that's like, that's like a magical conjunction. It's like the alignment of the planets. You're gonna bring us all away, Bobby. Who said it first? You did, Gil. You did. Out away, Bobby. Hey, we hope so. Yeah, the fan was not liked by critics. <laughs> I think I think it's Tony's most uh, critically derided film. It currently sits at 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was also a, a massive flop, grossing only 18.6 million dollars against a. 55 million dollar budget so not not good uh david anson of newsweek said instead of pulling you deeper into the narrative scott's striking insistent images and hyper cross-cutting dissipate any emotional involvement and i would i would agree with that i think i think it's just a film that we're not really attached to the characters i think it's just everything's kind of off and like i said i'm not spending too much time on it because it's it's his weakest film but if you if you are a tony scott completionist <laughs> then feel, by all means go and watch this film um so after that in 1996 uh two years later he makes a movie by the name of enemy of the state and thomas what is enemy of the state about enemy of the state it's like you you, <laughs> you know it's it's so funny you sent me an article to prep for this episode and i i read i just watched enemy state for the first time this uh, this morning Mm-hmm. And I read it afterwards, but like the whole time I was watching this movie, I was like checking my phone. I was like, this movie came out in 1998, right? Like, <laughs> this is the Patriot Act. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, this movie is about is. the Patriot Act before the Patriot Act was even a thing. It's it's kind of insane. Uh, Enemy of the State is about the NSA and how it uh, surveils uh, U.S. citizens, particularly mm-hmm. in this case, um, a character, a lawyer played by Will Smith, who is uh, accidentally roped into this whole NSA conspiracy. They're trying to cover up a political assassination. He's mm-hmm. uh, passed a videotape of the evidence without knowing it and so the nsa just sets out to use their various means of surveillance and electronic manipulation to ruin his life which ends up with him coming in contact with gene hackman who's playing like a a grizzled former uh secret agent who is now you know your standard I, i live in a warehouse with no connection to anything uh kind of crackpot but the two of them set out to kind of get back at the NSA for what they've done to, to Will Smith. It's funny reading the reviews for this because they're all like, well, this couldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> it can and it will. You know, what's even crazier yeah. that this, the article you sent me didn't bring this up. Did you, did you rewatch this one for this episode? I did. I did. Did you did. clock? Um, uh, the, Oh, what's his face? Oh, John Voight. John Voight. Did you clock yeah. John Voight's character's birthday when they brought up his, yep. 911. <laughs> yeah. Someone should have investigated this movie. Yeah, something about this movie. Yeah, his birthday Somewhere was 911. There, there's a conspiracy theory about how 911 is mentioned in this movie and this movie is about It's about terror. The Patriot oh, Act happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I feel like was the Patriot Act like signed on No, it wasn't. Was it signed on 911? I mean, it was. A, I mean, it I was, think it was, it was like it was in October, but it was it was quick. Yeah. It was an immediate reaction. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was in the works before 9/11. Yeah, it, yeah. Look, it's an effective October 26, 2001. But yeah, it's dealing with the September 11th attacks. And yeah, I caught. I was like, oh, that's odd. That's very odd. Yeah, that that article makes a great point. They're, they've said, you know, there's been a lot of movies made about kind of the surveillance state after 9/11, and obviously there were some movies made you know gene hackman's here the conversation um yeah. before this one but this one feels like this one has a special feel to it because it is talking about modern technology and modern surveillance but it doesn't have the shadow of 9-11 looming over it it's really yeah it really is odd of how like but in a way it makes it i don't know it, it's still like there is a rev- someone a reviewer on Larabox i had a great one he goes uh I think it was Matt Lynch is the guy. He says, uh, this movie's expiration date just keeps getting pushed farther and farther away. Well, yeah, like, because they, like, they're, they're in a very unique position. You know, there's yeah. been a lot of great, like the Bourne movies are great yeah. about like government surveillance and black ops in a post 9-11 world. But in any movie you make post 9-11 about this now, you have to have the part where the, the bad guy who's some government official says, you know, I was saving lives. And, yeah. and they kind of have to mean it like you 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 yeah. have to give their side of of the story you have to be like hey yeah you know 9-11 happened like this guy could be right but enemy of the state is able to go like no this is bad <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah this is just wrong but like they have a bunch of and we'll get more into the scenes a little bit later but like they have scenes like specifically with regina king and will smith of like when she's watching the news and hearing about the updates on it and it's bringing up like all the moral issues that like citizen four brings up with mm-hmm. edward snowden about like i think one of her lines is who's going to monitor the monitors yeah they said that the the fbi is going to be monitoring the nsa now and she says yeah but who yeah. monitors the people monitoring the monitor yeah 
yeah it's like, like it just it's like it's an ever like going thing and some people some people online uh even it's it's a big stretch but even like draw comparisons to her character in watchmen of like yeah. who are gonna watch the watchmen yeah exactly um and it's this idea of power and, and kind of who who has power over others and and what information is being kind of sent around. But yeah, it's interesting. Just like I think Ebert in, in his review talked about, he's like, yeah, this this some of the, some of this equipment's a little far fetched. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, but this like how they're using like cameras of of security cameras of all places to like yeah. see where people are. Well, one specifically when they use a the the lingerie shop security camera to build a 3D image, I was like, okay, you, you lost me on that. Yeah, one. it's a little too much. It's a little too much. Yeah, yeah, that's that was a little too much. But like going into but uh going into like the I think it was it was uh no Ebert talked about how like he's like oh yeah I believe like you could like the FBI or whatever could like listen to people's phone call conversation if they wanted to, like they're not recording it or like listening to everyone's phone calls. And I was just like, well, Raj, they're going to be in like three, four years. Um, so yeah. So how this movie get made going to that. Uh, so apparently the story of him in the state have been in development since 1991 by Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. Um, Bruckheimer apparently offered the movie to Scott once before, but he turned it down and I feel like at some point it seems he came around after or during Crimson Tide. Once Scott came on board, Bruckheimer offered the role of Brill to Gene Hackman, but he turned it down twice before accepting it. Hmm. Uh, some sometime during this period, it seems Sean Connery was considered for the role. Oh no! Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> I love Sean Connery, but I don't. I don't believe for a second. Sean Connery can never be in a movie that makes me for a second believe that he like understands technology. You're the man now, dog. Um, <laughs> so uh, I assume Bruckheimer really wanted Hackman and Price Scott because of the conversation connections. Because mm-hmm. Brill is very much a, a. There's been a lot of kind of theories online of how this is a quasi sequel to the conversation mm-hmm. and that actually Brill is just a cover name for Harry call of the conversation. Um, I don't know if I fully agree with that, but we can talk about it later, but finally Hackman accepted. I believe it was Tony Scott that convinced him for the lead role of Dean. It was initially to be, can you guess who was supposed to be the character of Brad Dean Pitt. of Will Smith's character? Not Brad Pitt. Surprisingly, he was not considered for this film, but it is a Tony Scott Tom Cruise. standby. Yeah. It was Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise was initially signed on, but had to back out because of the production of Eyes Wide Shut. I'm just picturing Tom Cruise's character from Eyes Wide Shut in this, like, like just kind yeah. of wandering around, and he gets wandering more and more disheveled around. as the movie goes, and his life is falling apart around him. There's, there's some oh, similarities. There there's a massive conspiracy chasing him down, like you know. There is. You're right. Um, but then after that, Mel Gibson and George Clooney were also considered for the lead role. But it was finally offered to Smith, who, liked Denzel Washington Crimson Tide, accepted the role because he really wanted to work with Gene Hackman. Smith even took a massive pay cut post-Independence Day and Men in Black so that he could star alongside Gene Hackman. Um, casting director Victoria Thomas stated that they were able to they were able to get so many up and coming stars and character actors because they all wanted to work with Hackman, which is wild because Hackman shows up. It's like past the halfway point. Halfway, it's like it's like 55, 55, 55 minutes to an hour into the movie 
is when Hackman first shows up. And he doesn't, it's like, and once he does, he doesn't have like big scenes with a lot of people, but mm-hmm. he's in like the, the scenes with Jack Black or scenes with like Seth Green. Mm-hmm. Of all people. Like he's in like scenes with kind of everyone, but not like massive. Oh yeah. We, we've got scenes. to talk about the supporting cast real quick. Oh, the cast is insane. Yeah, I, go ahead. They, they definitely went with like, so there's within the NSA, there's two teams. There's like the operatives that are the agents and then there's the techs. <laughs> And they obviously, when they were going for the text, they were like, who's funny right now? (laughs) So you got Jack Black, Jamie Kennedy, Seth Green. Yeah. Um, You also got Jason Lee very briefly in there. And then for the, it's almost like the theme for the operatives was like, who's, who's like a lunkhead son of a famous actor. (laughs) You've got Scott Kahn and, um, uh, oh, what's his? Jake Busey. Jake Busey. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course you got Barry Pepper, who's not, whose dad is not an actor but is a personal hero of mine have you ever heard about barry pepper's childhood no um I, I listened to a podcast with him a long time ago his dad was a lumberjack and was just like i'm tired of like cutting down wood for other people i want to do something for myself built uh his own sailing like a sailboat in the back of their yard and then they sailed around the world like he and his like three sons and, and wow wife. and barry pepper grew up sailing around the world and then he became an actor who started in battlefield earth of all things, <laughs> hey he was right? in saving private ryan come on <laughs> i'm sorry uh but no yeah it's just a very like you get i mean but then you get like tom sizemore in the movie again returning after true romance mm-hmm um lisa bonet who by the way two years later jack black and lisa bonet end up being in high fidelity together yep it's and then you get regina king who's up and coming at this point playing Mm -hmm. uh will smith's wife you said jason lee gabriel byrne Um, very briefly gabriel byrne very brief three minutes apparently i looked it up he's in there seen for three he's in the movie for three minutes uh jason robards very briefly again again he he was very brief in a crimson tide as well Mm -hmm. he's another standard uh tony scott guy and yeah and then you got john voight and it's a lot of just a lot of great actors this one especially though i I can always appreciate when a casting director obviously victoria thomas does a lot of action stuff and big blockbuster stuff but but she obviously had her finger on the pulse of who was up and coming and funny at the time and so that's what you get a really fun little cast in it and i think it's good because those guys are charismatic and they're fun to watch and it it makes it not so it makes the nsa not feel like this like super villain like it i I think it grounds the movie a lot more to keep coming back to these guys kind of joking around they're just computer nerds and you're like this this is like what they do in the government and it could happen that one corrupt guy like john voigt can turn all of his underlings against this one person but like these guys aren't all like evil secret agents yeah, it's just their job, and that's and that's a little bit of kind of the similarities between the conversations. Like these people are just like doing a job they've been hired to do, and aren't really like the bad people. Like you have like Jack Black's kind of like talking about like the maid that he see. Like people are talking about the things they're seeing or whatever. But yeah, it's very much just like who's who's the hot young comedians they're in stuff right now, and it's Seth Green with uh, with like very late 90s style with his glasses and 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 a hairstyle um in there um last thing before we get into kind of like favorite scenes the film was written by david morconi but the film had several writers who did uncredited rewrites two of them were tony gilroy and aaron sorkin wow 
So I can definitely see the Tony Gilroy somewhere same. deep in this. This or it's it's early Michael Clayton type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is because some of the stuff I wrote down. I agree with you. I wrote like some of the NSA stuff is kind of crazy, but some stuff I love about this movie. It really Hackman and Smith, I think, have great chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's not as probably because they don't have as much time as say Washington and Hackman doing Crimson Tide. Yeah, but I do think they for the parts they in i think it really pops i mm-hmm. think their chemistry really it really brings that movie together in that last hour which is what it needs and i i, I think it, I mean, honestly when watching it i'm like i wish will smith made more films like this like in his career like i think it's one of his best movies i've i've been very open multiple times that i think will smith i think you know, there's this there's this concept of like people canceling each other out. Obviously, I don't think this is an issue of, of them canceling each other out. I don't want to say they're different mm-hmm. generations, but I think Will Smith's career should very closely resemble Tom Cruise's career. In my mm-hmm. mind, that's that's Will Smith's ideal career, and this is this was like a step towards that. But um, yeah. uh, you know, Tom Cruise is someone we've talked about a lot is like not afraid to not be is oftentimes the star but is sometimes like not afraid to not be the star and um that's you know i'm I'm just i'm waiting on will smith's less grossman performance is is what i'm, <laughs> is what I'm saying he yeah he, he was in that movie uh was a winter's tale where he plays the devil or something that russell oh, it's he was he was in that he's in that colin yeah. farrell on that colin farrell and russell crowe i think are in that movie and I think Will Smith plays like the devil in like two scenes. I'm waiting, Spoiler on, Will for the one. I'm waiting on Will Smith's Magnolia. I'm waiting on, you know, that that kind of <laughs> stuff. That's what I want. I understand. And then, and me, then yeah, we it, give him Mission Impossible. Not not necessarily Mission Impossible because when Tom, Tom, Cruise, will, Tom Cruise will be filming Mission Impossible until he dies on set yeah. of a Mission Impossible I mean, movie I mean, and then I mean, that's I mean, it I mean, and then it's done. I'm, I mean, the one-to-one is that you just have him do like Men in Black again, again, and again. You're a threat now. Just like I was. Right to whom? To them? To your family, to your friends, everyone you know, everyone you meet. That's why I went away and didn't come back. You ought to go away, Robert. I know. I don't think so. This is my life. I worked hard for it, and I want it back. I grew up without a father. I know what that is. And I will not allow my family to go through that. Want to take a poke at me? Come on. I don't hit senior citizens. <laughs> oh, come here, babe. Come hey, come on, yeah. Come on. You know, in guerrilla warfare, you try to use your weaknesses as strengths. Such as? Well, if they're big and you're small, then you're mobile and they're slow. You're hidden and they're exposed. You only fight battles you know you can win. That's where the Viet Cong did it. You capture their weapons and then you use them against them the next time. That way they're supplying you. You grow stronger as they grow weaker. But yeah, this movie, it, it really does kind of just predate all of all of our worries about surveillance and kind of like it's a movie that like it's it doesn't deal with terrorism directly, 
but it's like in the, it's like it's in the background it feels like because that's what it feels like there i mean i don't know may i said i'm putting this on there because i'm having the post 911 thoughts in my head mm-hmm. but like they, very feels- early on in that scene with robards voight kind of alludes to that like because robards is like no one's ever going to sign off on this and and mm-hmm. voight is saying like that's because no one but us knows that we are at war 24 7 which is I mean, yeah. it, 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 he yeah. doesn't say it, but but the subtext is it's going to take a nine eleven to make people really yeah. get on board with this. Um, I'm, I'm, that is not me saying that that the government did nine eleven. That that started to sound like I was going <laughs> in that direction. Um, but uh, what yeah. podcast is this, Thomas? Um, yeah, it's a uh, because I think at one point, like they're talking about like. Uh, I think I don't know if it was Hackman or whoever, but saying how like oh the NSA like tracks your calls and if you say certain words like if it's like Allah or bomb or whatever you become like people are, are listening. Wow, our, our listener count just went up a little bit. <laughs> Hello, I mean uh, I think the NSA is listening to us after our Citizen Four episode. I really do think <laughs> That's that. true. Thanks, Ben. Uh, our our downloads went up after that. Um, so uh yeah it's just that that's kind of all kind of present and it's like how how again how people can track you through the phone like hackman keeps telling like will smith like don't don't make phone calls like lose your phone like they're tracking you and he's just like what are you talking about and then like it's the scene when they go to the gas station Mm -hmm. is what it is and will smith calls someone (laughs) and 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 that's when like everyone like converges on gene hackman's uh Play, but I love the ending when, like, because they basically have to have this escape scene when they're in, like, Hackman's kind of, like, again, very similar to uh, the conversation. His workspace is in a cage. And it's in, like, this abandoned warehouse. And when the people show up and they have to break out and they're leaving and basically Hackman blows up the building... And, ha- and and Smith's like, why did you do that? Because you made a phone call. Yep. Like it's just like so. Like Hackman again. I don't. I don't think he's the character of Harry Call in conversation because Harry Call in the conversation is so like almost meek and very quiet. And and Hackman in Enemy of State is just it's Gene Hackman at his, at his finest, kind of Gene Hackman esque. Mm. Like the scene that I think of where it's like kind of perfect where you get that kind of gene hackman smirk and like i'm i know i'm smarter than you in this situation is the scene when he meets john voight for the first time like outside dresses the cop mm-hmm. or whatever and he kind of has a little smirk and a little kind of salute or yep. whatever he does when voight walks up yeah well and he's he's great too you, you mentioned his scene with jack black he's great when he's in the surveillance van and he's kind of starting to figure out what smith's plan is and, and starting to roll yeah. with it and um that's a lot of fun i don't we'll get we can get into spoiler territories here for that's fine for a minute but um for someone who directed a a an iconic shootout scene in true romance the the shootout in this movie is so bad it is like i think, <laughs> I think ebert said it like borders on like ruining the everything that came before it but it is awful oh on the kitchen at the end yes. yeah 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 it's it's a forget i i honestly like block it out of my mind is the thing it's weird um, it's i don't know if they like ran out of time on that or what but it instead mm-hmm. of you know scott's kind of trademark like quick cutting it just like holds on voight and sizemore like 
you know, doing the the mm-hmm. the platoon like over the top, yeah, yeah, getting hit by yeah. bullets. <laughs> just, yeah, just looks like a bunch of guys like shaking their bodies around as, <laughs> as some squibs go off. Like, yeah, it, it's yeah, that scene. It, it it kind of there's a few logic jumps of like um how that all converges together. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, it's a like oh the tape and it's like size basically what it sets up is that uh uh again like smith plays like an unlikable lawyer is what Mm -hmm. it is kind of kind of like a dude who just does kind of like not dirty things but he's just a kind of a very like in his own world um and he gets a tape from lisa bonet um that kind of shows that time sizemore who's a mob like a, a mob leader it's breaking his parole and this one's that kind of feels just out of like doesn't make doesn't need, need it's not needed for the plot comes back around the end because Sizemore's like oh if you don't if you don't ha- give me who who gave you that tape in the next week like I'm gonna kill you and your family and then you just forget that scene mm-hmm. <laughs> and it comes back in for the climax so a lot of kind of like convenient things happen in the end but yeah I do love the line when Hackman goes you're either really really smart or really dumb or whatever he says like when he's getting out of the car but yeah ha- again hacking with everyone in the scene like i think it's it's again it's their kind of first meetings and the like in the elevator scene yeah um and then when they get to the top of the the top of the the the, the, the roof of the of the of the high rise they're in yeah. or whatever that's a, um, that's a great sequence from gabriel byrne yeah um, you've got like a car chase you've got the running through the hotel mm-hmm. you've got a little bit of humor with the 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 tourist couple thinking that Will Smith is a stripper because he's trying to get all of his bugs off of it. Yeah, him. yeah. You've got the Hackman introduction. It's that's a, that's a really really fun sequence. Yeah, it's, it's like when when Hackman's like, did you when because Gabriel Byrne shows up and essentially pretends to be Brill, and he and Hackman's like, did he say his name first or did you say it first? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I think I did. And he's just like, you stupid. <laughs> he's just like, it's just so upset but yeah i think this movie i don't know like i i i feel like sometimes i love it a little bit more than other people love it because i i have to respect the fact that like like how it kind of just predicts a lot of things that Mm -hmm. happens in the government it's it's kind of like insane yeah and we we talked a lot about last week about how influential kind of scott was on bruckheimer the the work that bruckheimer would do with and without scott as it went on it didn't mm. bruckheimer do eagle eye uh i think that was a bruckheimer movie give me a, give me a second i'll find out no no it's not it's not a. yeah it's not uh it's not bruckheimer. bruckheimer okay yeah. i'll retract that um but yeah we've but we've he, ta- he would do he would do stuff like yeah. i mean like that but i think we've all we've talked about the way that that we kind of last week, you, you, as you said, the coaching tree of like Scott yeah. kind of rubbed off on Bruckheimer, which then rubbed off on like Bay and um, yeah. Berg. Gore Verbinski, yeah. But um, I think this people, movie, yeah. especially, we're, we're seeing uh, it's kind of funny that this we talked about how this predates 9 11 and, and predates kind of that post 9 11 style, especially like Paul Greengrass. I think yeah. watching this, there's a lot. I think Paul Greengrass definitely referenced this movie with some of his later like uh born work for sure yeah very similar styles like it's it's very much an early level uh early foundation of that kind of run and gun multiple cameras like just 
kind of shooting excessively in a way. Yeah, these and these like, like action scenes, and you're cutting back to the you know the, yeah. the people in the NSA office or the people in the CIA yeah. office or the people in the Treadwater That's office. That's a good point. Um, yeah, trying to track That's a good him, point. and then he jumps behind some trains, and he's gone. Yeah, it's very it's very much. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's very much an early born movie and to an extent we'll get into this kind of in a little bit but like even spy game has a lot of the early born uh uh kind of traits in there so any of our favorite scenes you want to say about enemy of the state um I, re- I really enjoyed the whole jason lee sequence um yeah jason lee's pretty good in this movie not gonna pick it too much at how a, a goose researcher got so good at like running across across rooftops but um <laughs> another thing that kind of doesn't work that much again again, kind of the technology aspect against the enhanced stuff where like he he looks at the footage and it's like zooms in and then everything kind of the pixels go away and it becomes more enhanced i I had a i had a very similar camcorder to the one he was recording those geese with you could not zoom in i know (laughs) (laughs) enhanced now then yeah uh yeah grant hesloff uh in there yeah future oscar-winning producer of Cl- and find that Clooney was possibly rumored for this role because they're now co-producing partners. Yeah, I know it's I know it's no fun to like go through older movies and be like, oh, with modern technology, blah blah blah. But yeah. like, I was thinking that as he was trying to make that tape, I was yeah. like, all he had to do was hit publish to Instagram, and uh, <laughs> his movie's over. <laughs> Is that what you would do? Is that what you do if you're oh, like? Yeah. Uh, i found if i found a, the video of someone being assassinated i would immediately tweet straight to instagram. twitter instagram <laughs> facebook it's done you know how fast i don't know what some people in the world out there just like as soon as they see like a video on twitter they're like oh saved and so like even if twitter <laughs> took it down it's out there oh it's out there and i'd be like my name is thomas horton if i turn <laughs> up dead it was this video it was this video that did it it was the it was the NSA that did it. In your phone was a GPS sat tracker. Pulses at 24 gigahertz. I don't know what that means. It's like a low jack, only two generations better than what the police have. And what does that mean? You speak English? Obviously not that well. You're kind of a jerk, aren't you? It means the NSA can read the time off your fucking wristwatch. All right, enough of this bullshit. Right now, you either shoot me or tell me what the fuck is going on. Jones, you take the stairs. Rogue, hold the perimeter. Coming in my signal. The National Security Agency conducts worldwide surveillance. Fax, phones, satellite communication. The only ones in the country, including the military, could possibly have anything like this. Why are they after me? I don't know, and I don't want to know. Here they come. I thought these sat dishes would scramble their signal. Control, this is Air 1. Repeat coordinates. 105 Chambers Avenue. You're transmitting. They still have a signal on you. Your collar, your belt, your zipper. Get rid of your clothes, all of them. And then what am I supposed to do? Nothing. You live another day, I'll be very impressed. Two targets rooftop, north side. Understood, two targets rooftop. Maintain visual, please. You have something they want! I don't have anything! Maybe you do and you don't know it. You stay away from Rachel and you stay away from me. You come near either one of us, I'm gonna kill you. Get rid of your watch! My wife gave me this for our anniversary. Then keep it! Stay off the phone! So the reception for this film. This is one of the rare films in Scott's career that was both a critical and financial success upon its release. Uh, It became his third highest grossing film behind Beverly Hills Cop 2 and Top Gun, Top Gun being the most. Uh, It grossed, I think, $250 million worldwide. Again, it received high marks from critics, 
many of whom were unaware of how realistic the story would become. <laughs> uh, and today, the film is prevalent in our modern society, talking about issues that would later be discussed over a decade later with Edward Snowden's leaks about the NSA and how much they monitor American citizens. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's one that every every few years I see like uh, an article about like, oh, let's talk about how important or influential Emmy the State was. Yeah. And it's not it doesn't get as much traction as a lot of as some of the other films or like, I even thought I I think it might not be as good cuz it's kind of too like old school TV but they I think they were talking about doing an Emmy State TV show. And I I thought it'd be good at one point but I don't know if that become if it becomes too much like a 1 hour like CSI. Yeah, what was that one with Jimmy like, Beasel? Um, person of interest uh person of interest yes yeah yeah exactly so after emmy of the state in 1998 he makes another movie called spy game in 2001 three years later a movie another movie dealing with the government but this time it's the cia and robert redford plays the cia agent who it's his last day on the job when his 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 mentee played by brad pitt whose character name is bishop Bishop is basically captured in China uh, when he went on like kind of like a rogue mission. It feels like mm-hmm. as a spy, um, and he's captured in China. And the American, the CIA, and the Americans have de- uh, twenty four hours to decide what to do, and should they let China kill this American spy or try to save him? And for Redford's last day. His character name, by the way, is uh, Nathan Muir. Uh, they bring in Nathan to essentially give the backstory on the character of Bishop uh, so the CIA can decide, like, did, can they say he did something wrong so they can let him die in China? Right. Because they're also worried about a upcoming uh, presidential trip to China. And it's trying to showcase, like, the good relations between China and America. Also a movie that kind of uh, predates the things we deal with nowadays. Um, so, yeah, it's stars Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. I personally think this is one of his weakest ones. Oh, okay. Oh, we're going to differ. No, I really dislike this movie. So I, I, oh, I wow. thought we were going to have to fight over this. <laughs> I really don't like spy games. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't really a big fan of this. I um I've seen I had seen this one a long time ago. This was one of the first DVDs that we owned, um because my parents my parents saw I feel like they saw it in theaters, like I feel like I uh-huh. remember them like going to see it in theaters and coming back and being yeah. like oh my gosh we hated that. But then we yeah. but then we also had it on DVD. So I'm not sure, maybe maybe that was something else. But they definitely we did, we had yeah. it on DVD, and I remember them watching it and being like we did not like that movie. But they were both big Robert Redford fans, and yeah. um. And so it was one that was like, you know, it was like this R-rated movie that was on the DVD shelf. And so one day I like grabbed it and put it on and I did not like it. I was probably like 13, 14. <laughs> and so I was interested in coming back to it for this episode. I had never revisited it. I'd heard it kind of derided for Scott style. And I thought, you know, now I, I like like Man on Fire, which is Scott style like that. I liked yeah. obviously last week Crimson Tide, which was like these two a younger actor and an older actor kind of facing off which is what a lot of the plot of this one is is that muir and bishop kind of differ uh in in their like values of of how we should go about being secret agents in the world or whatever um 
so yeah i put it on last night and thought all right i'm ready to come at this with a with a fresh face and i probably disliked it even more this time around. wow wow yeah i think it's i just think it's very forgettable and it's like um, the i think what what kind of makes me mad this time watching it oh wow um, <laughs> is that it's written like a a, a lacare novel like yeah. it's very much about all these twists and turns and but also like the bureaucracy of of spydom which we we covered a lot when we um when we yeah. we covered spy movies um a little while back but scott shoots it like it's a born movie or you know um and yeah. so Before so born. much there's not a lot of action in it and i'm not mm-hmm. coming to this being like mm-hmm. oh there's no action in it but he shoots it like there is which is what gets you ridiculous scenes like I know you and I were both shown this scene in film school is like what not to do yep. when they're having a conversation on the roof about like how you're supposed to treat your informants and it's just like helicopters and <laughs> snap zooms and there's nothing happening. The, the most action in that sequence is Brad Pitt throws a chair off the roof. Um, yeah. Don't tell me that. Yeah, I think so is I what think he said. yeah this is this this movie is exactly what you get when you have a script that is that kind of like John le Carre is a, a talky spy movie about yeah. honestly about how boring it is to be a spy. And yeah. then you give it to someone like Tony Scott who goes, Oh, spy movie. I, I got, I got this covered. <laughs> it yeah. turns into this. <laughs> yeah. It's like, cause I don't, it's not, it's funny you bring up John le Carre cause now I'm thinking about Tinker Tower Soldier Spy of how they have this like frame narrative essentially mm-hmm. where it's like, it's, redford the the idea is in the movie it's it keeps flashing back and forth between redford and the, and the conference room at C, at, at Lang, and langley at cia uh dealing with what's happening in china and that's flashing back to like well, when did you first meet bishop it's like oh it was in vietnam or whatever which is just odd to see because I, I you forget like this movie takes place in like 1991 is what it yeah. is yeah, I forgot that too, before... and I didn't. I didn't catch the opening credits, and so I was thinking it was set in two thousand one, and then I was like, "Wait yeah. a second, what? <laughs> Brad Pitt was in Vietnam? No, I'm, it's like he's in Vietnam and reference in Vietnam. You're just like, how old are they? Like supposed to be? I will say the one sequence I do like, because there is a sequence I like in here. It's when and I wanted more of this. Is when Redford is training Pitt, like when they're doing, they're like he goes like go go elicit information from that woman mm-hmm. and it's like Pitt goes over and flirts with her and tells her like a few lies and he's like you just told her three lies that you now have to like make sure you never forget or it's like hey you see that apartment building over there you know anyone in there no i want to see you in that in that window in five minutes mm-hmm. that just sequence right there that training spy sequence is the best part of the film <laughs> and then like everything else just feels kind of uh it just do- it doesn't fully work for me and i said there's not really big set pieces in the movie so like it's it's trying to be like a smart action film but also just kind of comes off just yeah and i really odd i don't feel like we've we've talked a lot obviously we've got a lot of respect for these well-respected actors who have worked really well with scott so i'm not saying like oh pitt and redford are too good for a tony scott movie it's the opposite like i really want them to be utilized the way that gene hackman and denzel washington are utilized for example but i think this i think just the way this all panned out just doesn't play out i don't think either of them are very good in this um i i wish that brad pitt had gotten his 
Tom Cruise type of role with Tony Scott. Um, Cause I think that would have, you know, I think a Brad Pitt days of thunder would have been a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a shame that, you know, this isn't the only movie Brad Pitt made with him, obviously he did true romance, yeah. but I think it's a shame that, yeah, Brad Pitt didn't get to do a better Tony Scott movie. What are you telling me? Schmidt was bait? Yes. Nathan, they executed him on a shitty cellar floor. And it could have been you. Let me tell you something about Schmidt. He went to the Russians a week ago and said he had a contact, an American, somebody he could use. Don't tell me that. Don't fucking tell me that. You didn't look asset. in his eyes. Don't tell me that. He was your asset, somebody you use for information. Oh, Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't just trade these people like they're baseball cards. It's not a fucking game. Oh, yes, it is. It's exactly what it is. And it's no kid's game either. This is a whole other game. And it's serious and it's dangerous. And it's not one you want to lose. Nathan, we killed this man. We used him and we killed him. Okay, then you gotta help me understand this one. You, Nathan, what are we doing here? And don't give me some bullshit about the greater good. That's exactly what it's about. Because what we do is unfortunately very, very necessary. And if you're not willing to sacrifice scum like Schmidt for those that want nothing more than their freedom, then you better take a long, hard look at your chosen profession, my friend, because it doesn't get any easier. Why you want to walk? You want to walk? Walk. Let me ask you this. What do you, what movie is better, Spy Game or Revenge? Probably Revenge. I'd probably rather watch Revenge wow. than, than Spy Game. Okay. That's saying something, Tom. <laughs> yeah just don't make me watch the first like 40 minutes of revenge minutes i'll of take revenge. the last i'll take the last 40 last minutes half. of revenge over spy yeah Game. apparently i heard that miguel ferrer is in the theatrical cut more just so you know oh, okay. uh so there so there we go um a few things uh tony scott had trouble trouble getting permission to use use a building for an explosion but at last minute he was able to pull some strings from the moroccan royalty and buy the building and then blow it up <laughs> and blow it up um, if you notice, because this is another thing where I didn't like the movie that much, Brad Pitt not in it that much. Nope. <laughs> really not in it that much. It's kind of weird to see. And apparently Scott was very worried about that, so that's why he keeps cutting back to torture footage of Brad Pitt. Because he's like, oh, the audience might be a little upset they don't get to see Brad Pitt's yeah, face especially that much in on the that, movie. I, I, that DVD cover is like burned into my brain. But um, oh yeah, he's he's all, his face is just as big as Robert Redford's face. With the on sunglasses that, that he's wearing, yep. yeah. Uh, a few things. You know what movie Brad Pitt turned down to be in this film? What's that? The Born Identity. Oh. Yeah, he turned down Born Identity to be but, in this movie. But Ocean's Eleven is sometime in this period too, right? So, so. that's my next thing. <laughs> Brad Pitt had signed on for Ocean's Eleven, which was due to start filming directly after Christmas. Uh, this movie didn't start filming until November and went to like March, like April or so. So filming, they had to shoot all of Pitt stuff first. It sounds like, uh, and and Tony Scott acknowledged there was a stopwatch on them all the time because they had to be done with Pitt scenes before Ocean's Eleven started shooting. That's probably why they rushed his wig so much too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, apparently Tony Scott was nervous to work with Robert Redford. Uh, since he was also a director that yeah. he really admired, Scott had said that Redford's quiz show was one of his favorite movies oh i love quiz show That's a really so yeah movie. yeah so it's a great movie 
Um, so yeah, I don't, I said, I had that favorite scene of just like that sequence of them trained to be spies, but that's, they have trained Pitt to be a spy, but that's really it. It's like, I don't really love the ticking clock that it does, but what's so odd about also too, or see, I don't like the ticking clock that keeps doing like the, the freeze frame of like Redford and like the time, mm-hmm. like 10 hours to go. Um, but I will say this is that all of these three movies do feel like he's like trying to figure out a visual style to do. Yep. And then it comes in the, and then it like, it just like crescendos with like man on fire. Yeah. The, the visual style just does not narrative narratively work for this one, but yeah. it does for man on fire. Man on fire. Uh, before we dive into man on fire real quick, uh, this movie, however, did make money. 143 million dollars on a but on a 150 million 15 million dollar budget this is a big budget movie for a time but like a movie it cost 115 million dollars in 2001 and like doesn't even get talked about nowadays mm-hmm. uh the movie however did receive pretty much a uh, critical praise not 66 percent on rotten tomatoes currently also pretty decent on like the audience score as well which is somewhat shocking to me i thought spies drank martinis scotch never less than 12 years old is that right agency rules my rules i so what else what else do i need to know put away some money so you can die someplace warm don't ever touch it not for anyone ever okay that it don't ever risk your life or your career for an asset comes down to you or them send flowers so after spy game 2001 his next film is man on fire in 2004 so thomas it's your moment what is man on fire about man on fire is about john creasy he's an artist Mm -hmm um he's a uh he's a former cia operative who's got a real dark past he's got some yeah some stuff behind him that he's he's ready to forget and he kind of, he moves to mexico hang out with his buddy christopher walken who's also a former operative and he's really just like there to like drink himself to death basically um but christopher walken gets him this job as the bodyguard to a young girl uh, lupita played by dakota fanning and she ends up kind of warming his soul and uh despite him trying very hard for that not to happen um and so they become very close she kind of like saves him in a sense and then she is kidnapped and he is unable to save her he is shot multiple times in her uh kidnapping attempt but kind of rallies fueled by pure vengeance to track down these these kidnappers um I don't know if it counts as a spoiler alert if it's like halfway through the film, but uh, the the attempt to pay her ransom goes wrong and she is killed uh, during the handoff. And so then he just goes on a like nothing left to lose. I'm going to murder everyone who was involved. in Oh, this. God. Yeah. Well, he what does he say? He, he says to uh, the mother, um, uh, is it Rod? Rod I don't know how to pronounce her name. Rod, Rod Mitchell. Yeah. Rod Mitchell. Yeah ryan mitchell uh she her character name is lisa when he's just like i'm gonna track down anyone who who had anything to do with 
with her death and i'm gonna kill them yeah, she basically. says kill them all um and then there's another great line when that that old couple the guys like like god tells us that we should forgive oh, people because that's between them and god it's just my job to arrange the meeting <laughs> oh god denzel man denzel in this movie I, i'll we'll go into critical reception later but like i don't i don't i cannot understand the people who thought this was one of his worst performances i, think I will never is, get I, that i, I, I told, I think it's one I told best. every day i had it on i was like i think this is one of denzel's best performances no disrespect to some incredible dramatic roles he's been in but he and i think you know a lot of people point to taken as being like oh my god someone like liam neeson would do an action movie and it's given us yeah. kind of this yeah, um man. this whole kind of rebirth of like drama people doing these action movies but i think i mean man on fire obviously predates taken but um yeah this is like the the like sadness and the rage and everything that denzel carries in like every moment in this movie and i mean obviously there, there's been you know movies that that predate this you know the charles bronson pretty much any movie charles bronson made um yeah. that are just kind of that like out for vengeance kind of thing but i think denzel 100 percent elevates the genre with his performance in this yeah i think specifically the scenes i think of well because you get that you get to see him open up to her in the movie it's the the scene that i just find so beautiful is the scene where she's like oh you're smiling when he after he smiles he goes i didn't smile <laughs> i didn't smile and they're just like going back and forth it's like again i talk about how scott movies amplify a, a, a star's power and charisma and i think this movie just you see every shade of denzel i think in this movie mm. you see the the lightness in his in his performance and what he can do the heart that he has in his mood and in his in his performances but then you see that dark side mm -hmm. that just is i'm gonna kill everyone in my path type thing that we hadn't really seen before i think that a lot of comparisons the movie makes because you gotta think about this is that it's three years after training day and i think people are expecting him to be like king or king kong ain't got nothing on me and this this his character is so internal mm -hmm. in this movie when training day what he won an oscar for is an external character and he's very loud and loud and bombastic when this character is like silent and and brooding but every once in a while he's got just a great one-liner that you know might come off as cheesy in someone else's mouth but um he's vengeance or, or revenge is a dish best served cold it says at one point just oh, to cut the best him. one the absolute best one and i you know we can dive into scenes yeah. but um the scene i mean it's a brutal brutal scene but when he's when he's interrogating the guy and cutting his fingers off and solderizing it with a oh, um, bro that scene cigarette lighter. oh man um but he's got the line, you know, once he's gotten all the information out of the guy, he's, he takes his gun out and um, like puts it on the dashboard. And he says, well, it's on to the next life for you, my friend. And I guarantee you won't be lonely. And it's just like, holy shit. <laughs> that scene. I mean, we're skipping a little bit of the favorite scenes, but like that scene, it's like, oh, come vibe by Santana's playing. Mm -hmm. yep, and he's and just into, like. Into, it goes, oh, yeah, come vibe. Spanish version into of Mickey. Spanish, hey, Mickey, into, um, uh, uh, oh what's that that opera piece uh, i can't remember i can't remember um, what it, it, yeah, it yeah. translates to none shall sleep um nason dorma into into okay. nason dorma um that that scene especially if you're if you're listening along you haven't seen these movies and you're just looking for some <laughs> clips that scene is this era of tony scott style working 
it's for me it's fantastic and yeah. and you know and the way that he shoots and cuts that scene makes the you know it's shot and cut very brutally but if you really think about it we're cutting away from a lot of the violence yeah yeah um, it's coming it's going outside the car and yeah, spending it, kind it of outside really the car. kind of the way he shoots that scene kind of tricks you into thinking it's a lot more brutal than it is yeah and 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 the music's kind of the santana music is kind of like overplaying the screams mm-hmm. <laughs> yelling um but before we dive into more favorite scenes i want to bring up kind of how this movie got made because it's actually a very interesting story so the film is actually based on a 1980 novel with the same name by an author by the name of aj quinnell uh it was actually turned into a film in 1987 starring scott glenn mm-hmm. uh the movie however takes place in italy like the book takes place in italy uh and this in the 2004 version they updated it to mexico because scott was like if we do it in italy it becomes a period piece because there's no kidnappings really anymore in italy we should do it in, in mexico again something that kind of feels a little bit of have its time in a way like, like that's like the whole stuff with like cartel and stuff in mexico isn't as prevalent I, maybe i'm wrong maybe i was just too young um so but funny enough tony scott was initially in the running to direct the 1987 film uh but the studio allegedly balked the idea because at that point in development scott had only directed the hunger the screenwriter of 2004 remake was brian helgeland mm-hmm. and he also has he also has an interesting backstory with this movie so he had directed recently or he had written before this movie mystic river which i think is what got scott interested in him as the writer for this film he had done la confidential so a lot of kind yeah. of like mystery revenge type movies but back in the 1980s when he was a young screenwriter he ran the original film based on the recommendation of a video store clerk clerk who loved it um and when there was a chance to write the script for the remake of the film he took it because he loved it so much when he saw it in the 1980s and during the press tour of may on fire he thanked that video store that gave him video store clerk that gave him that recommendation back in the 1980s and his name was quentin Quentin tarantino Tarantino. (laughs) (laughs) talk about connections uh kind of insane so finally when scott was attached to direct the remake of the film he began thinking about the cast when he originally planned on directing the film back in the 1980s he wanted marlon brando or robert duvall to star in the lead role Hmm. and then in this 2004 remake it's no shock that he was looking for a star to play john creasy allegedly the part was offered to tom cruise will smith de niro bruce willis all of which were previous leads in Scott films. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott also said that he offered to film to Russell Crowe, but when he, he called him on when he was on the set of Master and Commander and Crowe said no. One day, Scott found himself in the waiting room at a doctor's office when Denzel Washington walked in. They found themselves together in the waiting room and they began chatting because they hadn't seen each other since they made Crimson Tide together. Um, Scott began thinking in this meeting about watching for the lead of Man on Fire because the night before, Scott had watched I Am Sam, which stars Dakota Fanning. And he said that day when seeing Washington, he said all I could think about was these two people being in the movie together. Um, And also before he took this role, allegedly Washington had become tired of acting. Hmm. So it sets up kind of just a... 
I don't know. It's a, it's a really good setup for this movie. Like just kind of the backstory. Yeah. It's all serendipitous in a way of like what kind of happens and brings these people together. Yeah, I mean, I can see looking at that the list that they were looking at. I can see why Denzel wouldn't have been. He's a little young compared to like who they were. Who De Niro, else were looking yeah. At for the you know, I mean, he's not as young as Will Smith or Tom Cruise, but like when looking at De Niro or say Bruce yeah. Willis, um, yeah. Uh, last one other person I want to bring up. There's no person that was going to be Christopher Walken's character, by the way, whose name is Rayburn, which is a nod to Wesley Snipes' character in The Fan, oh. um, apparently, allegedly. But this, the person who was supposed to play the character had passed away before filming. Marlon Brando. Oh. It's supposed to be Marlon Brando. I can't do a good Brando or a I good can... Walken, but I, I would love somebody who can do a good Brando to do that. Creasy, Creasy is an artist of death. He's about to paint He's... his masterpiece. Chrissy is an artist, <laughs> and he's about to paint his masterpiece. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> also, just I, I love you know continuing like just all these character actors that I love popping up in Tony Scott movies. I love Giancarlo yeah. Giannini as well. And, yeah, um, he's he's a lot of fun in this role as kind of being. I feel like any of these like revenge movies always need like the cop that's like obviously yeah. like okay i'm I, I get what's going on here i need to step away like this is this is bad um <laughs> and he, he's really good in, in this is, is that role as well you got him i mean you got mark anthony really mark in this anthony movie. kills really it in this, in this movie. movie he does he does it's kind of i mean i'm not saying it's surprising but like i mean i don't know him that much as an actor i know he did that random like jennifer lopez like him like uh like biopic movie they did together at one point but yeah, he's really good as Samuel in this movie. Oh um, man, the scene when like when Washington's like, yo, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but when he's like the like the bullet always tells the truth or whatever, mm-hmm. and like basically gives him the gun with that one bullet in it. Uh you even got Mickey Rourke popping up in here. Yep. Um as the lawyer pre like kind of Mickey Rourke kind of like comeback pre wrestler for sure. Pre pre wrestler. I think he might have done Once Upon a Time in Mexico a year before this, but it's it's in between Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which is Rodriguez, and in between Sin City, which is also Rodriguez. But he's also in Domino mm-hmm. with Tony Scott a year uh, a year later. Yeah, this movie, I mean, we, we've talked about a few but Yeah, the scene with uh, with Walken when when the detective, yeah, Gene Carlo Giannini, when he's, when he's talking with Walken, and he's just like, he goes, every man's an artist. Everyone has art. He, and he's like, he's like eating the food. Mm-hmm. Food food can be an art and just like <laughs> and just like sucking on his fingers is an artist creasy of death. creasy is an artist of death and he's about to paint his masterpiece is a line what's the, that's uh, like a, that's just, just a before cra- that too he's got a great line where he's like he's gonna bring down more justice than all of your uh, tribunals could ever do. tribunals could ever do in like a, like 24 hours or whatever like he it's it's a great monologue from walking like it's a it's a fantastic monologue what was she to crazy them? She showed him it was all right to live again. And the kidnappers took that away, huh? And they're gonna wish they never touched a hair on her head. A man can be an artist. And anything, food, whatever. It depends on how good he is at it. Creasy's art is death. He's about to paint his masterpiece. 
And I love I love their him and Washington scenes together. Mm-hmm. I really do. Like, and apparently I read that all their all their scenes were improv. <laughs> like, it's just Washington and, and then walking, just going off. I mean, again, I it feels like Washington. It's like I think sometimes Washington, you can. T- it's not not diss on him because I think he does good performances in most of his films. But there's sometimes where like I feel like the he's he's better than the story if that makes sense mm-hmm. and in some cases it almost feels like he can know that but he really just he leans into this movie so like i think he fully commits to it and he gives just like i mean it's 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 a cool movie like at the end like the way he sh- the way it's shot like the like the scenes when um when Washington's like do like kind of his training montage, the shots of him like holding the gun and like getting prepared or whatever. And then like him also going in the club, like again, to get mm-hmm. that couple. And he ends up finding the girl that's been like, uh, that's been kidnapped the day before. Like he just seems so committed to this character of Creasy. Yeah. And, and along with that, I think this is where I, I said before, I think this is of all of Scott's movies of this era. This is the one that narratively that style works for. And that's because he he shoots this movie like a fever dream and he's constantly reminding us in this movie that creasy creasy was shot like three times when lupita was kidnapped and this movie is like we're we're kind of throughout we keep reminded like he's bleeding like he hasn't even he hasn't healed from this he's probably gonna die and he is just running on pure adrenaline to find her so it is like it's like a fever dream for him too like he's he's nearly yeah. delirious by the end of it and it is just like he is his body is holding on long enough for him to complete this one mission and yeah. and so the 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 style actually works in that sense yeah in the way that, he, that scott presents it to you yeah scott was really into this idea of like because he does it with domino too and we'll discuss more about that next week because domino is one of his most like hated movies it feels like <laughs> i i like it um the tip of my hand there but he he's trying to with the visual style like mimic the mindset of the characters mm-hmm. like i think he said in domino he was like they were all like all the bounty hunters he met were always just like getting high all the time and always on drugs and he wanted to replicate that in the style and in this it's very similar it's like it's washington is in with the alcohol is one thing but also just the being shot and almost like constantly being in shock in a way mm-hmm he's not physically but i think the visual style is showcasing that is that this guy is is in a is on a different plane in a way and it shows that beautifully and i I don't want to say the ending because for people don't see it but i can tell you right now last night watch this movie till like 1 a.m just crying like i i wasn't expecting that because i've seen this movie before but it just um it's weird how this movie of this nature has so much heart in mm-hmm. it. It's kind of crazy. Well, and something that Scott has stumbled upon in this one specifically, and like you said, I think some of the movies in this era leading up to this one have been his kind of tryouts for this style is I mm-hmm. think he really finally realizes with this one, there's a couple moments in Spy Game that he hits on it, but with this one, he realizes that you need some moments of quiet when you're when you're mm-hmm. throwing all of mm-hmm. this and so this one will, will do that so incredibly well is just like yeah. chaos chaos and then like like we were saying with uh with nasun dorma like right you know you've had you've had oya komova and hey mickey thrown at you and then they, he ends that scene with 
he kind of backs out and and lets the 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 murder happen off screen and and plays nacing dorma and it, it instead of just continuing to throw stuff in your face it kind of closes that scene out on on a quiet moment and there's there's yeah. a couple of really great times when he's got these like crazy action sequences and, and he knows when to let you breathe yeah I, I was thinking that last night because it, it is his longest movie. Mm-hmm. It's about it's two hours and twenty six minutes, and there is a shot at the end of the movie when Creasy is walking up the bridge. Mm-hmm. And it's this huge wide shot. It's a beautiful landscape, and I kept thinking, we've seen a lot of Scott's visuals and how he like will capture cities or capture the NASCAR like track or something, but you don't see a lot of just just huge like almost like a painting Mm. that looks like a painting to go back to his training of being a painter that looks like a painting you would see in art this like small man in frame because he's he's small because of how far he is just walking up this very like like green grass blue sky one tree or whatever it's a very like quiet moment walking into what could be certain danger or death mm. essentially um and and that's the key to like i think having a movie with heart is that you have to have a lead character who knowingly walks into certain death and that's what kind of really hits home in this and at the end of this movie um with washington and again it's just it's one of his all-time best i think and i and it is it, i said it is a travesty that people derided this film as much as they did when upon its release i think it's i think it's slowly people are coming around because this was one that they are they are they are this was a movie that i loved in secret for a very long time and um and and met some people in la started to 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 get a little community of like man on fire fans i know a couple people who are out there who um who would back me up on this but but i've seen online i've I've seen it kind of growing as people being like yo that this movie is amazing (laughs) Yeah, well, the, I think audiences always liked it because we'll, I'll go into that with reception a little bit later. But it, it was just like I read one. I won't say what 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 critic, but a critic I admire and like love their takes, and it was like 0.5 out of four stars, and I was like, wow, like <laughs> wow, we went there, uh, and just saying it was like it was it was. People said it was like bloated and just like it was just too long. And I, I think someone read uh, a journalist said that a lot of people did not like the vigilante aspect of the movie. Also, I want to bring this up too. When watching it this time, this is a comic book movie. Hmm. Like this is a comic book. The way Scott shoots it, with like kind of the the big title text that comes up and kind of the the shape the all the different colors that are going on like it really is a early version of like a comic book movie that would become later and i think it's probably more comic booky than say most superhero movies that came after it mm. but it's i mean it's a graphic novel i guess you could say like the way he shoots it and the visual style of it the way he like will do well he'll do like just like text that comes up randomly or whatever like there's a text that comes up at the end uh where like it doesn't make sense logically of why this these texts are on there but it's there mm-hmm. um and or how like if like someone's yelling the text of the subtitles get bigger or yeah. something yeah like he's doing some interesting things that i could understand at the time seeing it like what is going on yeah in the movie but yeah someone said that um he he argues that this is a uh, paul davies 
argues that the most critics miss Creasy not taking sadistic pleasure in the kill killings since he kills to get information to get all people involved in the kidnapping of PETA and does not like harming innocent parties. So like, he's not like with a vigilante type thing. He's not seeking pleasure and killing these people. Um, and he's not like, it's always for a purpose. Yeah. Well, and I think and he's always think making sure it's a bad person. Kind of a subtlety that Denzel's able to bring to this that we might not have gotten with, say bruce willis is a lot of the times we'll have these moments like right before or after he's kind of had a big action sequence where he's facing off with someone and he's got like we said kind of those one-liners we can see that i mean he's still very much in pain and it's almost like he knows that he has to act that way to be intimidating or be mm -hmm. scary um and, and those lines and kind of acting cool is like part of obviously an act like we we know creasy better than that we know that he's yeah. he's not trying to be cool and suave he's fueled mostly by rage and, and pain um yeah and, but that that's part of you know this act that he has to put on to get this job done it gives scott a large canvas to work with and i don't always like movies that are i mean i don't always like talk about movies that like should be they should be shorter or whatever but somehow i think he earns this runtime yep i think some movies don't earn them i think he earns the run runtime this being as long as one so it makes me wonder like what happens if I mean if if he makes a few a few movies of this length late like uh, uh in his career, um, but it's just and the way he uses music we talked about this with Oyo Kamavan and Mickey and all that scene but he uses music a lot like there's it's like when he uses Blue Bayou a lot in the movie mm -hmm. uh by Linda Ronstadt and it's like there's a scene when like he's when like when Washington's getting drunk or whatever uh and when he's like contemplating suicide the way the music kind of just like. He, he 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 screws the music a lot like it's like slows down or like scratches and all these different things because like it's rep it's mimicking what washington's mind is like in this moment in time mm -hmm. yeah um i think i think i said i think everything he does i think from the mute from the music the editing the sound design i think the relationship with the characters i think with fanning and washington um it's it's just a it's a heartfelt story amidst a revenge a, a violent revenge film crazy hmm. what's a concubine why do you ask it's in my history book oh it's like a wife right yeah yeah it's uh let me see a wife right there but the emperor of china had 1000 of them um Okay, like nowadays in, in the West, they have one husband for one wife, but in the olden time cultures, they had, uh, you know, different, uh, different rules. Why, you feel sorry for the husband? Yeah, can you imagine my mom multiplied by a thousand? <laughs> Gracie, you're smiling. What? You were smiling. No, no. You were? No, I was not. You're not now, but you were. No, you were smiling. I wasn't you smiling. You were. When? Like five seconds ago. I'm not smiling. Well, a second ago you were. You, no, you said five seconds ago. Now that's six. Six seconds ago I wasn't smiling. <laughs> okay, six ten sec seconds ago. Ten seconds ago I was smiling. Okay, in the next ten seconds, let's see who smiles first. You smiled already. See, you did. Oh. No, that wasn't a, that was a smirk. That was a smirk. That's not a smile. A smirk is different. They both start with S, but they're not the same. You know. Any favorite? Any other favorite scenes you wanted to say? I mean, there's there's 
There's a lot of great scenes in this movie. Yeah, um, there are. I, I think one that, that really sells the, um, the chaos of that Scott is able to, I, I think when you're talking Scott's ability, especially in this movie, like really finding the ability to balance the chaos with the quiet. I think mm-hmm. one that you should pull up is the, the rooftop scene when he finally gets the, the voice on the phone because that God, scene that's is a great nuts scene. he's got the, the voice his brother on, tied up on the roof he's like shoot he shoots his hand right he shoots his fingers off shoots his hand up and yeah. the, the, hey, he, the guy's he goes, wife hey, here's your like, bro- here's your brother and shoots his hand yeah, up. <laughs> and the guy's wife is like crying and she pulls this like sack of money out of a rain barrel and like throws it out he's like i don't want your money and then the yeah. guy tells him reveals some news to him over the phone yeah, yeah, yeah. and um it just like immediately just like silence as this like yeah. news like hits him yeah it's fantastic when watching that i was reminded i I, keep keep bringing up some film school stuff here but i was reminded of a class we took about how visually uh when you reach your climax your story it needs to reach it needs to reach the visual climax as well and that phone call to me is the climax of the story Mm. like i know we have we have a little bit ending scene afterwards i think that's kind of the uh the fall Mm -hmm. um but the way he shoots when that kind of, when that piece of information is delivered of how it's a, like the, the everything in, in, in Washington's world changes yep. and Scott shows that visually with like a slow down camera, everything's out of focus around him. He has, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing scene, but yeah, that scene when Washington went, cause, cause Daniel, the character, the voice when he offers him money and he just, and he starts yelling. It's like when he shoots the brother's hand off, he's just like, I don't want your money. I want you or whatever he mm-hmm. says to him. Like I'm, I'm going to kill your entire family. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's Washington. I think, I don't think if he ever tops in terms of like his, like kind of revenge action movies that he would later do after this. This is it. Yep. This is the one. And that scene is, is just, I, I think, one of his like scariest i mean it's like it's he's great in training day and things like that but uh, there's something about that scene that he does when he's when he's like threatening to kill like this yeah. entire family i mean we we talked um, about this in the revenge episode but a, a revenge movie i've said before is ultimately a horror movie where you're following the monster because all you know john wick is 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 michael myers to these to these russian gangsters and uh, I mean, he lit- literally Denzel is, you know, in, in the in the second Halloween movie, he's like, I shot him six times. That's what they're all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. they're all yelling about Creasy in this movie. Hola, Daniel. Senor Creasy. Yeah. Yeah, I got your family here. Your brother doesn't look too good. Yeah, Reina, she's what about eight months, huh? You want to negotiate? most important thing in life is family. Do you agree? I agree. And there you are. You have my family. Well, most of my family. My wife and I are separated. You know how that is. Now tell me seriously, how much do you want? Huh? Your brother wants to speak to you. Yeah, hold on. Ah! 
take your family apart piece by piece. You understand me? Piece by piece. Shut up. I don't want your money. You understand me? You understand me? Well, I want you. So the critical reception of this movie, <laughs> as we've kind of said, this is by far his most misunderstood film, at least in terms of release. Release, And I think probably in a day, and hopefully people, more people come around to it. As of right now, as of recording, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, the very popular review site, uh, the film holds a 38% from critics and 89% with audiences. <laughs> I've, I've tried to do some research on the different, like how different the score is. Cause that's a, that's a 51% gap mm-hmm. is what it is. Not many films have that big of a gap on Rotten Tomatoes from what I can tell of movies that are this, this caliber. Um, I've seen a lot of like, there's a couple movies I saw that were like, like political documentaries that had a big gap. Um, the only other movie that had a bit of a gap in terms of audience score being high or critic score being like, like really low was American Outlaws with Colin Farrell of all things. Oh, 14%, 14% with critics and 68% with Never audiences. Seen it. I, I do like the, the score though. I've seen <laughs> You too. I've seen it. That was surprising. I could see why, why I had slayed, but I also see why critics hated it. But yeah, this is this is not American Outlaws. This is way better. Um, and yeah, it's just it would it, it grossed 130 million dollars on a on a 70 million dollar budget. Um, I think it's, I guess I think it's his masterpiece, especially his misunderstood masterpiece. Uh, quick things, real quick, because they shot in Mexico, and uh. They had, had they had to put bodyguards on Denzel the entire time, pretty much, because some of the crew had actually been like robbed uh, a lot of the time. Also, too, before Scott was direct going to direct it, they were looking at two other directors to direct this movie: Anton Fuqua, hmm. who had done Training Day with Denzel, and also uh, Michael Bay. They chose right. Yeah, with, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> You know it's 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 funny you you sent me a um an article kind of about about Scott and, and Washington's collaborations and this being kind of the strongest of them mm-hmm. and they they brought up that it could have been Fuqua and, and Washington working together again and and that kind of Scott and, and Washington were able to produce, you know, a little bit more interesting stuff, but um yeah. I do th- I I th- I wish with that difference on Rotten Tomatoes, I do wish we could have some retractions from critics. I know that, yeah. that, that um, uh, Ebert had did that a few times in his life, but um, mm-hmm. the AV club at least panned that movie on, on its initial release. And it wasn't the same critic who came back and wrote that later article, but at least as a publication, yeah. they're, they're now on the record as having come to appreciate the movie. So looking at these, these four films, what do you think comes from this era? Like what, what do you, how's what's Scott's influence from this era? Um, definitely that's his, his style that I think a lot of people now think of as the, the Scott style. You know, we talked about how his, his previous style kind of became Bruckheimer's style by proxy. But I think when these days, when people talk about Scott, they think about what he was practicing in this era, which we'll, we'll see next week. He went on to kind of, 
kind of go overboard with with Domino and yeah, then hate, start yeah, to double ease down back. On Domino. Yeah, you kind of start to ease it back on Deja Vu and those kind of movies. Um, yeah, but I think this is definitely his his trial period for that, and in in developing that style, then kind of offshoot the style of the Bourne movies um, mm-hmm. from from Enemy of the State. But I think we're, the the closest he got to perfection with that style i'm i I still don't love that style i would not want it in any other movie but i think it works in man on fire um yeah and i think it really makes it stand out as i think that his that style and washington's performance Mm -hmm. make it work yeah and i also want to talk about real quick since because i want to keep bringing this up throughout the the month and we haven't discussed it really that much this is the first episode uh, is how he works the genre. Like when you look at these four movies, from the fan, you have like a psychological thriller. Emmy Estate is a political thriller. Spy Games is a spy film, and The Man on Fire is a revenge film. Um, Crimson Tide is a war film, I guess you could say. Uh, True Romance is a couple on the run movie. Last Boy Scout's a buddy film. Days of Thunder is a sports film. Revenge. It's a revenge movie. Not really a uh, revenge movie. <laughs> uh, Buddy Hills Cop 2 is a franchise movie and also Buddy Cop. Top Gun is a war slash sports movie. And then Hunger is a vampire movie. So he's done... Not Again, he's not really repeating himself. And that's kind of the tricky part why we do these, ep- why we do these month-long episodes is because some directors don't repeat themselves mm-hmm. in terms of genre. And Scott is one of those ones who really didn't really repeat himself in terms of genre, but they all feel like a Tony Scott movie. Yeah. So next week, it's our final episode of Tony Scott month. And the next four movies we're doing next week are Domino 2005, Deja Vu starring Denzel Washington, Taking a Pelham 123 also starring Denzel Washington and Unstoppable also starring Denzel Washington. <laughs> Uh, released in 2010. I'll say this because there was a little bit of Unstoppable's getting a little bit of a, a retrospective because it got good reviews when it came out. And we'll discuss it next week. But uh, ever since Quentin Tarantino put it on his like top 10 movies of the 2010s, people have been reevaluating that and hopefully reevaluating Scott's work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's all we have for you this week. Make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you rise to review on whatever platform you listen to the show on. Yeah, let us know what you think if you're a spy game lover. <laughs> let us hear it. Maybe don't take that out in the reviews. You know, maybe social media is the best place for us to hash that out. Yeah. But um, let us know. And, and and if you're in the Man on Fire army, like let us let us hear you out there because it's it's growing. It's continuing. One day I want it on, you know, uh, some sort of retrospective list as being like, holy shit, we owe everyone an apology. I'm just saying we need a Criterion release of Man on Fire. Yeah. Some sort of big release. Tony yeah. Scott is. I don't think Tony Scott has a Criterion. What do you think would be? What if, if realistically? What do you think? True Romance. Realistically, yeah, True Romance. But I would say Man on Fire. I, I if if I had if I had my pick, Same. Man on Fire. I think so Same. as well. We got. We have to save those movies from that digital era, you know. Yeah, man, we got to. So yeah, and if you haven't already, make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. And thank y'all for listening. Hope you listen more episodes soon. Bye.